It's not an allegory. And uh, it's, a, it's a real story. It's a real true story. The Lord Jesus himself even declares in the book of Matthew that uh, the Ninevites repented at the preaching of Jonah. It's a true story. And within that, we also know uh, the context of the book. And we've shared this. We've shared the historical context for the Ninevites uh, and also the Israel, Israelites. And at that time in Israel, Israel was a people that was on its way to God's disciplinary hand, uh, exile from the land because of their disobedience to the word of God. Uh, they were those who would name the name of the Lord, but yet were idolatrous and, and wicked at that time. Indeed, the time that Jonah is happening is during the reign of King Jeroboam II. He's a northern king, and he was a wicked king, and Israel was just like him. Now, at that point, we see that Israel was just close to that point of being exiled by the Assyrians. Now, we also looked at the Ninevites of that time. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the superpower of the time, and they were a wicked, violent, bloody people. In the book of Nahum, chapter 3, the Lord God reveals uh, throughout the whole book of Nahum their judgment coming. But in chapter 3, very specifically, he reveals that they were a, a, a wicked, bloody, violent people who, who seduced the nations, who were, who were evil. And very clearly, God's judgment was coming for them. Now we see Israel is spiraling into their own disciplinary judgment. Nineveh is on the precipice of its judgment. And here, just a, a couple hundred years before that, or a hundred years before, we have the book of Jonah. Now as we've come to the book of Jonah, Israel spiraling in sin and Ninevites on their way to judgment, uh, we came and we saw that the Lord called Jonah. He called him to go preach the Ninevites. Let's take a look and let's read through this and review what we've seen. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh the great city and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind in, on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and they threw the cargo which uh, was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load for, the load for them, lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it you are sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, why should... What, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. 
However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming greater, even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the man feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord God calls Jonah to go to, to go to Nineveh. Jonah goes the opposite direction. The Lord God hurls a great storm upon the boat. You see his discipline upon Jonah. Jonah is, is unconcerned about other people. He's selfish. He's down sleeping. And the, the crew is throwing things over. Uh, they're trying to determine what happens. The captain goes down below and questions him, we see. The crew casts lots. It cut, falls on Jonah. They question him. Uh, we have this, uh, 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 this scene where Jonah is obviously the reason why this has come upon them. The scripture reveals that. And so they keep rowing desperately, trying to save the ship. And, and even though Jonah said uh, to throw him over, they're trying to save him. They are actually more concerned about life than he is. And the most wonderful thing happens. Uh, they cry out to the Lord and they believe in him and they get saved and they offer uh, vows and, 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 and worship to him. These, uh, these sailors who were pagans, who were following each of their own gods, turned to the Lord, the God who made the heavens and the earth. And so they throw Jonah over, and God appointed a great fish to swallow him, and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then we saw the depths of God's discipline in the belly of the fish where Jonah recounts his prayer while he's in the fish. He recounts and prays and recounts his prayer when he is drowning outside the fish. And we see that God's discipline actually works on Jonah. Chapter 2, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. Notice that, his God, the Lord his God. Same fish. And he said, I called out in my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. Now he's recounting what he was praying when he was drowning. So he's, he's in the fish praying, and he's also recounting that prayer that he had prayed when he was drowning. He says, Called out in my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. Thou dost hear my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all the breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from thy sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards thy holy temple." Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its barns were around me forever. So he's drowning, and it's thought that maybe he did die, that we don't know. Uh, he's used as a type for Jesus Christ who did die on the cross and did go in the grave three days and nights. The scripture doesn't say... But what we do know is that Jonah was near death here. He was, he was going to die. But something happens. But thou hast brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to thee into thy holy temple. 
Those who regard vain idols forsake thy fa- their faithfulness. So really forsake his faithfulness. That's really the best translation. They forsake God's loving kindness. You serve idols, you forsake his loving kindness. And so he says here, But I will sacrifice to thee with a the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited up Jonah onto the dry land. We see the first beginning of fruit of repentance, where Jonah is repentant. He he vows to obey the Lord, to, to do what he said. He gives thanks to the Lord, and he realizes that all salvation is from God. And so he's vomited up in the dry land, and as we see in chapter 3, he goes and obeys God and goes to Nineveh. And it is there we have the greatest revival ever recorded in Scripture. We have the greatest uh, uh, work of God in salvation uh, recorded in Scripture. Jonah chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. God's speaking to him again. Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city. It's, it's, the, it's the capital. It's the big city. It's the great city. And proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. Share what I tell you, Jonah. And that's where preachers go so wrong. They don't share God's word. Share what I tell you. God moves and works in the lives of people, whether it's saving them or judging them, whatever it might be, when his servants speak his word. It's his word. And so he says here that what I'm going to tell you. And he says here, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. He took that 500-mile trek and he did it. And he went there. He went there. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. Now, we're going to see in our passage today that most likely he's only there for a day before what happens in chapter 4 happens, okay? It's a three days' walk, but he goes one day, and they start repenting. And as the word gets around, as we see, he says here, uh, Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. They believed in God. And that's the God of Israel. That's the God of Israel revealed uh, in the scriptures. They believed in him. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne and laid his, laid his robe aside from him and covered himself in, with sackcloth and sat on ashes. And he issued a proclamation that said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let beast, man, beast, herd, flock, taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let them call on God earnestly. He understood. That's the only way that you will find salvation when you are faced with the reality of the consequences of your sin is to call on God earnestly. And scripture reveals that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on God earnestly that each man may turn from his wicked ways and from the violence which is, hand, of his, which is in his hands. That's repentance, by the way. Who knows? They didn't even know. All the message was just judgment. They didn't even know, but they're calling on him. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger. God is angry at sin and he is so angry that he, the wages of sin is death, eternal separation, the second death, punishment in hell. But he poured out that wrath upon his son Jesus, and he died for our sins in our place, in our place. 
So they say, who knows? And turn, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning ears so that we shall not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon him, them, and he did not do it. Now, some might say, well, they just turned and they, they escaped the initial physical judgment of God. Well, the reality is they were saved because the Lord Jesus declares that the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah and that they will stand in the judgment against the generation that had rejected Jesus Christ. And so they are saved. We know that the saints will judge the world, not the ain'ts. The saints will. These are saints. They believe they are truly his. And so then we come to the fourth chapter, which we looked at last week, where this should be just a a wonderful, rejoicing, praising time. Uh, When one sinner repents, the angels rejoice in heaven, right? You know, we got got millions of people here repenting. We got a lot of people repenting. And so Jonah is so happy and rejoicing, right? No, that's not the case. Notice chapter four, verse one, and let's let's. This is where we'll begin, kind of a little more a succinct review, and then move into our passage because it flows together. Jonah chapter four, verse one. But it greatly displeased Jonah, or literally, it was evil to him. It was bad. It was bad. The word raab, evil or bad. It was bad to Jonah. And he became hot or angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, and now we go, oh no, here we go. Jonah's not there yet. He's kind of backtracking a little bit here. And we know that too, don't we? We know that all too well. Where we're following the Lord, all of a sudden our hearts get pulled away and we backtrack. Jonah's backtracking. But we need to learn the lesson so that we don't do that. So we don't see to that we don't go back to from where we've come, as Paul would tell the Philippians. So he says here, Please, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my own country? So he had a little conversation with the Lord back there, and he didn't like the the, the outcome, so he split, right? He fled the presence of the Lord, right? And therefore, in order to forestall this, well, what's this? That's the salvation of the Ninevites. Crazy, it's crazy. Forestall us, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. I knew your character. And he should have rejoiced at that character because that's the same character that brought about his salvation. But Jonah was messed up. You see, Jonah wanted his way, and he didn't get his way, so he was angry. His way was not the salvation of the Ninevites. His way was the destruction they deserved. That's what he wanted to do. But his way was not God's way. God's way was a compassionate way, as we'll see. And you see, whenever you don't get your way, you're tempted to be angry. That's really what goes on. You don't get your way. You see something that God does that's good. You see it as bad. You don't get your way. You get angry. And Jonah got angry. And he knew that God was this character, had this character, gracious, loving, kind, slow to anger, Bound in a loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity, concerning calamity. He says, therefore, he says, therefore, now I please take my life from me. I could just see it. Oh, it's life is so hard. But you know what? If it wasn't written here, we would think it wasn't, you know, that it's not real, right? We're just like that. 
we get into those pity parties also. And we're going to see that Jonah's problem is he has compassion and pity for himself, and he doesn't have compassion and pity for others. That's the problem. Self-pity eliminates compassion for others, okay? And when you are self-focused, feeling sorry for yourself, what happens? The anger manifests itself, as we see here, in this deadly depression, and he is saying, I want to die. Please take my life from me. You do it, God. He's not even going to do it. You do it, right? Terrible, terrible. But God is gracious. God is still working on Jonah, and God works on us. He's a patient God, and he's a gracious God, and I thank him and praise him for that. He says, please take my life, for death is better to me than life. I don't want to live because I didn't get my way. (laughs) Really, it's crazy, isn't it? Now, there's a lot of thought out there that says, well, Jonah maybe was concerned that he would be declared a false prophet when he got back to Israel because what he declared didn't happen. You know, there's other talk that maybe Jonah was wanting the big giant victory parade from Israel about how the Ninevites were destroyed at his preaching, you know, or whatever it was. We don't know about that. All we know is that he didn't want him saved. It was evil to him and he didn't get his way. And therefore what was good from God was bad in his sight. He says here, take my life for death is better to me than life. Don't get to this point. Jonah was already at the point of death already. Now he's given his heart over to Satan, satanic thinking. You know, when you don't take care of anger, we saw this last week. It is, uh, you give Satan a place, Ephesians 4.26. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Uh, uh, it says, uh, be angry, but be angry, but sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your alongside anger or anger, uh, or get, that you give Satan a place or an opportunity. Don't do that. You'll start thinking satanically. This is right from the pit of hell. Take my life. That is a satanic statement. It is better to die than to, to live. That's satanic. So he's given over to that. He became greatly displeased, became angry because he was, it was a great evil to him and it wasn't a good thing. And his prayer reveals how messed up he was when he knew the character of God and he ignores that truth concerning others and is angry about the situation. So then the Lord confronts him. This is what the Lord does to us. He asks us these very poignant questions that get right to the heart of the deal. And that's what we need to remember. You know, we, we try to get walk around uh, uh, all this stuff in people's lives when the obvious is right in front of us. Jonah's angry. What does God say? He says here, verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Or you could even translate it as, Doing good angering you, Jonah? Is that angering you? Is what's good angering you, which shows right away he is not seeing things rightly. He is seeing it as evil. God is saying it. It is good. It is good. And that's one of our problems. You see, when we are self-focused, self, self, uh, when we're so focused on ourselves, we see the things that happen to us as bad rather than God using those things for good, for good, that he uses it for the ultimate good. And this is a real example here of something that actually was really good. And Jonah saw it as bad. So at this point, we come to our passage here where we're going to see Jonah's response now. So God asks him a question. Now, does Jonah answer the question? Does Jonah say, yeah, I'm really angry and this is why? He doesn't answer the question here, does he? 
Jonah does what Christians do when they don't like it, when God confronts their sin. I've seen it a million times at church. When the word of God finally gets to the people's specific sin, boom, they are gone. They are gone. And look at what happens to Jonah. Verse 5, then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. He's out of there. He stopped doing what God has called him to do. We're going to see it was the first day. He's supposed to do it. He says, he's supposed to save the whole city. Well, they've all repented, evidently, I guess. And he doesn't like it. God actually speaks to him while he's in the city. He's, you know, proclaiming stuff and they're, they're repenting. And then he's hot and angry. He's in the city and God talks to him. Do you have good reason to be angry? Is doing good angering you, Jonah? And Jonah's response is, out of there, right? He's out of there. And Jonah went out from the city and went and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it and, and under the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. Wow, Jonah is so much like us when we are not walking in the Spirit, right? That's the way we are when we're not walking in the Spirit, when we're walking in the flesh. He's just like that. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort, okay? And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. So here we go. Jonah goes out from the city, okay? He goes out. And by the way, uh, it's really clear uh, in scripture that when you separate yourself, you seek your own desire. Proverbs chapter 18 or very clearly, Proverbs 18, 1. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. What was Jonah's desire? Zap him, blow him up, right? I don't want him saved. He separated himself to sit and see what would happen. Seeking his own desire. And it's interesting because uh, this passage here in verse 5 shows that immediately, it's, it's in Hebrew, a vav consecutive, that immediately when God asked him if he had good reason to be angry, he got up and split. He got up and split right away. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. So he went out from the city to sit east of it. Now it's interesting, he says he went to the east. Why is he giving us this, this direction where he's going? It's interesting, you know, it's, it's, we can't know for sure, but often in scripture, this term east is used to speak of disobedience. I'll give you some examples here. Uh, we know that in the garden, the cherubim were stationed on the east side, right? We know that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled east of Eden, okay? We know in Genesis uh, 10 and 11, mankind in his disobedience journeyed east, and settled on the plain of Shinar and, uh, you know, and built the Tower of Babel. Well, does it make any difference? Well, I don't know. He says he went east. Uh, we do know that Jonah's being disobedient. That's what we do know. He's being disobedient. And so then we have this great revival. Jonah gets hot. God confronts him in it. And guess what? God confronts us. And are we going to listen? We need to. Don't, don't do what Jonah did. And so here he gets up uh, and he splits. And he is a stubborn man rebelling against God, okay? So God commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh. He three days walk. He, he goes there. City repents. The word is spread. It's still the first day, and he's out from there. He's out from there. And so what's he doing here? What does he do here? After they went out east of the city. There, there excuse me, middle of verse 5, he made a shelter for himself 
and sat under sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Okay, he's there. He's made a shelter. This is near Monsul, Iraq. It's hot out there. He's uh, out there. He made a shelter, and he's going to sit and look and see if God is going to destroy the city. Wow, is he stubborn, right? Remember, his message was yet 40 days, and then it will be destroyed. He's got uh, 39 days left, right? <laughs> so he's going to park it out there, and he's going to sit there and look and see, okay? So stubbornly and rebelliously waiting for God to destroy Nineveh. He's totally messed up. And by the way, it's based on his own wisdom and his own desires. You see, when you function contrary to the word of God, you function based on your will rather than God's will, you're going to be messed up too. And it's going to come out in your actions and your behaviors. And that's why God gets to the root of that by sharing his word to confront what I call our stinking thinking, our thinking that is wrong. He shares his word to do so. So notice, God is now going to discipline Jonah to get to the root of the matter, but he's going to do it in a different way. He's not going to immediately pour something difficult on him. He's going to give him something good, and then he's going to take it away. He's going to show Jonah where his heart is at. Okay. Sometimes we don't realize God's discipline sometimes is to have something good come that he takes away to show us where our hearts are at. Look at verse 6. So the Lord God appointed a plant. He's doing a lot of appointing, by the way. We've got, we had the storm earlier. We had a whale appointed. We got, we got a lot of pointing, all right? He appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be the shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. Okay. Jonah is not very comfortable out there in his little shed that he made, okay? The term discomfort here is obviously in relationship to the sun. You know, he is, he is not comfortable. It's not fun out there. And so God appoints a plant, and this plant grows. You see, the thing about this was Jonah could have stayed in Nineveh and hung out with the repentant Ninevites in the shade, by the way. He could have been praising God in there uh, for their salvation and telling them about the Lord, right? The God they believed in. But no, he's out in the desert, and so he's suffering in the desert. So God gives a little relief of that suffering with this plant that he appointed and notice it says here the lord god appointed a plant you know the only time this other phrase is used here is back in chapter one where he says i'm a hebrew i fear the lord god i fear yahweh elohim i fear the lord the great i am who is who is the majestic sovereign over all i fear him i fear the lord god so the lord god who is sovereign over all appoints a plant, and it grew over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort, or literally the term evil or calamity. He sees that as bad too, right? Ah, hot, it's terrible, right? Now, this interesting, this plant, we don't know what kind of plant it is, but obviously all kinds of people are saying it must be this type of plant or that type of plant, the only types of plant that grow this fast or that fast. There's no plant that grows as fast as this one does. God appointed it. It says it right here. The Lord God appointed it. And he appointed it to grow over his head. God sovereignly makes this plant grow, and it is enough to shade Jonah. And it happens in one day, because it's overnight, the worm is going to come and get it in a minute, as we'll say. So God did this. God did this. Now, it's possible Jonah might have been under the perception, hmm, this is really supernatural. God is actually shading me. Maybe he is going to blow up the place, you know? 
Uh, he, you know, you never know. Jonas, but that's not the point. Jonas needs to learn a lesson concerning where his heart is and his compassion, his, uh, his pity. He needs to see that he's got a lot of self-pity and he has not much pity for others who are dying in their sins. And so then, now at this point, we have this plant growing. Now, is God going to trick him with this? Is that what he's doing? No, God's not tricking him. He's going to reveal his wicked, sinful attitude. So then, it says, to deliver him from his discomfort, and at the end of the verse, and Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. This This is quite telling here. It really says it, you could say it literally this way, Jonah rejoiced over the plant with great rejoicing. He's having every, he's, he's so happy, he's rejoicing. Praise the Lord for this plant, right? He is, he is jumping up and down, he's rejoicing, he's doing his happy plant dance, whatever he's doing. He is super excited about it. And uh, yet, do you notice something that strikes you here? Why is he so happy about the plant? Shouldn't he have been this way about the Ninevites? Shouldn't he have been rejoicing like the angels that rejoice? Shouldn't he be rejoicing with extreme great joy? No, he's not. He's doing that with this plant. But this plant has one purpose initially, which is to shade him. It's all for Jonah to relieve his discomfort. Don't be someone who is an angry person. We read all those passages last week. uh, Because everything discomforts you, right? Don't be that way. Don't give Satan a place. Give it over to the Lord. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Uh, we can't hold on to anger. If we do, Satan gets a place. We're not even to hang out with a man given to anger. We're to stay away from that, right? So then he's rejoicing with great rejoicing. He's rejoicing with great rejoicing. But this shows he has a self-centered compassion. He is very much concerned about his own uh his his own uh, well-being. He's very concerned about that. Now, let me ask you this. What is it that you rejoice in? Uh, we certainly give thanks for everything and everything give thanks. We certainly do so. God blesses us with things. But what causes you to have joy? Does it cause you to have joy when you see a fellow believer hearing the word of God and responding to it? Does it cause you to have joy when you see a fellow believer confessing their sin? Does it cause you to have joy when you see a non-believer being convicted of their sin when they come to faith in Jesus Christ? Those are the things that should give us joy if we have the heart of the Lord. Uh, We have the heart of the Lord. But Jonah wasn't that way. But God is good. God is out to reveal this to Jonah. He's going to show him like he does with us, like he does with us. Notice verse 7. Now we have the first phrase here where we have, we've had these but Jonas. Jonah's supposed to do something, but Jonah does the opposite, right? Now we have but God, right? God appoints this plant. It grows overnight, shades Jonah's head. He's so happy. He's rejoicing. He's jumping up and down. And it says, verse 7, but God appointed a worm. God appointed a worm. It's almost kind of interesting. Maybe Jonah's been kind of a worm a little bit, hasn't he? Uh, he, he hasn't been really uh, doing what the Lord wants him to do, but this little worm is. This little worm is going to do what God asks him to do. But God appointed a worm when the dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. God has totally silent us. He appointed the plant to grow. He appointed a worm to, to, to cause it to wither. God is acting here. God is the one. And by the way, this is the only destruction in the book of Jonah. This is the only destruction. 
God destroying this plant in a sense by this worm. God does it. God does it. We have in chapter 1, the sailors are saved. We have in chapter 2, Jonah's life spared. We have the Ninevites' salvation in chapter 3. And here we have the plant, and then it gets destroyed. Right? So then, the worm kills the plant, the plant that Jonah was extremely happy about. So what happens? Verse 8. And it came about... When the sun came down, came up, that God appointed. Here we go. God's appointing more stuff. Not good stuff, at least from Jonah's perspective, but good stuff from God's perspective because it's going to cause Jonah to need to see himself rightly. God appointed a scorching east wind. Now, in the desert, if you've got a scorching east wind, that's not good. Scorching. You know, it's burning you up, and it's, it's hot. There's sand. It's terrible. It's terrible. Scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head. Okay. God is sovereignly controlling the circumstances, bringing about the instructive discipline of Jonah. Remember, he hurled a great storm, chapter 1. Uh, he appointed a great fish, chapter 1. Uh, he's appointed a worm to destroy this plant, and now he's appointed this, this, this wind, this wind to scorch, and the sun to beat on Jonah's head. And so we have this scorching east wind and the sun. And so how does Jonah respond? How does Jonah respond? Sitting out there waiting for Nineveh to be destroyed in the sun with his plant dead next to him. How does he respond? Middle of verse 8, Jonah became faint and begged with all his soul to die. Wow, he's this a third time. Life is, he's begging, kill me off, it's terrible, I can't live anymore. All his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Jonah's messed up. Jonah is so self-focused. When things don't go his way, he's upset. When they go his way, he's happy. It's about Jonah. And he has a great amount of compassion for himself. A great amount of self-pity. He has none of that for anyone else, as we have seen. We saw he lacked compassion and self-pity, or compassion and pity for the sailors. He lacked that. He didn't care if they went down. He lacked that. He didn't care if they were the ones that did the dirty work and threw him in the ocean. He didn't care. He lacked compassion. So he's begging with all his soul. Now, I want to remind you something, brothers and sisters. Who is causing all this discomfort? The Lord is. The Lord is taking credit for it, and he is causing it. He caused the plant to die by appointing the worm. He appointed a scorching east wind. The Lord takes credit for it. And what is he doing? He is preparing Jonah's heart to receive the word of God. He's preparing his heart. You see, sometimes we need to be uh, humbled, and God uses circumstances to do it so that we will listen to what he has to say. And he may be bringing difficult things in your life, and he is humbling you so that you will listen to him. So you will listen to what he has to say because you haven't been listening. And he wants you to hear what he has to say about your wrong thinking and your wrong behavior, that you would repent and that you would be restored, that you would be walking rightly with him. So he's begging with all his soul, take away my life, my life. But God is a good God who is disciplining, who is disciplining you see, this is an evidence Jonah's really his. God is actively working on Jonah. Now, some of you, you may be doing all your wicked stuff and your bad attitudes, and nothing bad ever happens, at least in relationship to that. 
hmm, maybe you examine yourself to see if you know the Lord because God's children are disciplined by him. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. He's talking to the Hebrews. They had forgotten that God disciplines and they'd forgotten the word of God. Hebrews 12 verse 4. Things aren't as bad as they could be, basically. He said, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten. Now, Jonah had this same exhortation. He had Proverbs 3. We read Proverbs 3 earlier. He had the same thing. He had it. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And Jonah is his son in the Lord, right? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there in whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which you all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. It says, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? Be subject. You're not just submitting. Submit to him, right? For if they disciplined us for, for they disciplined us for a short time, which seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline in the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, get trained by it. Don't let it keep going. Get trained by it. Those who've been trained by it, afterwards, there's an ending to it, right? Afterwards. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You've learned your lesson. You don't go that way. And if you do, you confess quickly, right? You learned your lesson. God disciplines those in whom he loves. And as I mentioned, Jonah had forgotten Proverbs 3. He had that. He had that. He had forgotten it. He was a prophet. He quotes truth about the Lord God from the scriptures. He knew the scriptures, it seems. Maybe God has allowed you to be temporarily blessed and he has taken it away to show you where your heart really is. You rejoice in the things that make you happy and you don't uh, rejoice when things, uh, when the things that make God happy. So then, notice God uses this to prepare for Jonah to, to uh, hear his word. So notice he uses his word to undercover his sinful thoughts. Look at verse 9. Then God said to Jonah... Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? <laughs> He's mad about the plant still. He wants to die because the plant withered. And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. <laughs> it still continues, doesn't it? Wow, but God is gracious and God is patient, but God has to turn the heat up on Jonah. And he literally, right? He has to turn it up on him. Literally here again, is doing good angering you because of the plant? God's doing a good thing. God is trying to show Jonah where his sin is. And God does a good thing through difficulties in our lives, trying to show us where our sin is. And we see that as evil or bad, rather than God is a good God who causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. So Jonah believes it's really a bad thing, even to death, even to death. Now God, at this point now, comes and shares the reality of what's really going on. And it appears that maybe Jonah is ready to hear. Maybe he's ready to hear. Look at verse 10. 
Then the Lord said, and here we have God's word again, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. You had pity on the plant. You had compassion. You didn't do anything for it. You had no relationship to its being alive or dead. No relationship at all. He's going to make the point later on, shall I not have compassion? And the implications on what I did create, on who are my creation. Should I not have that compassion? The implications there in the contrast. He says here, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And should not I have compassion on Nineveh? the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals. He's speaking there of children who haven't come to the understanding. They're not old enough to even understand what their left and right hand is. There was 120,000 very small children, infants, whatever it might be, and animals. At least should I not have compassion on Nineveh, including this, these, these people? Should that not be the case? You had compassion, Jonah, on what, what, uh, what relieved you from your burden. Should I not have, and you didn't work for it, should I not have compassion for Nineveh? You see, Jonah had compassion for the plant. The term compassion speaks of pity in a sense. He had a, he had a, he had a kind of a mercy for it, a, a pity for it. But folks, I tell you right now, if you have selfish self-focus, then your compassion is going to be for yourself. Your compassion is going to be for yourself. Your pity is going to be about your circumstances. You know, inevitably, people who are angry and depressed, they are living a pity party out. I'll tell you right now. They have all kinds of self-pity. It's all right. And if something goes good, they have real joy in that. But if it goes bad, we see they're just like Jonah. So the Lord God is saying, should I not have compassion? Should I not have compassion? You see, Jonah has missed it completely. He had twisted compassion for the plant compared to God's loving compassion for sinful people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's a lot of lessons here, a lot of lessons. But the big lesson that God is teaching here through this very extreme example is that uh, Jonah had a selfish, sinful compassion, and God had a righteous, loving compassion for the Ninevites. Do you remember back in chapter 1, Jonah was selfishly ready to allow everyone to die. Jonah was selfish in chapter 3 when the Ninevites were saved. He's angry and depressed in chapter 4. He's selfishly uh, in a self-pity party over the plant. He wants to die rather than live because his nice plant died that shaded his head. So then, that's the end of the book. Now, this should trouble you, maybe. Does it, what's the solution? What happened here? What happened here? Well, I believe, as we're going to see, that God's discipline worked. That God's discipline worked. You see, God was disciplining Jonah to the point of death. And this discipline caused him to obey and initially go to Nineveh, preach the word. Then God disciplined his wrong thinking concerning the nature of God as exemplified by his behavior, that, behavior, that God was compassionate. Jonah didn't see it. He saw it as evil. He saw it as evil. 
So did Jonah repent? Well, in 2 Kings chapter 14, 25, we have the phrase, according to the word of the Lord, the God of hosts, which he spoke through his servant, Jonah. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's not a very long list of those in whom the Lord God calls my servant or his servant. Now, besides Nebuchadnezzar, who was an unwilling servant used by God to bring about his wrath, we see that Job, Jacob, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, David, Abijah, Elijah, Isaiah, Hezekiah, Zerubbabel, uh, uh, and the Lord Jesus himself called his servant. And here we have Jonah called his servant. But the real question is not whether Jonah repented, which I believe he did. I think this is autobiographical in a sense. I think Jonah was the one God used to write this, I believe. But the real question is not, did Jonah repent, but have you repented? Have you repented? You see, some of you are like the sailors on the ship, going about your business, living your lives, unbelieving pagans, not really bad people. They're just doing their job, and they showed compassion towards Jonah before their salvation, right? Yet they were one storm away from God's ultimate judgment. Some of you are like that. But God was gracious to send his word through a disobedient prophet. He's gracious to see it. And within that, they repented and were saved. Now, some of you are not like the, the sailors. Some of you are like the Ninevites. You're wicked. Your actions demonstrate uh, your, your, your violence of your heart, your hatred. You're like the Ninevites. But God was gracious upon them too. And he said that their judgment was coming. And yet God relented when they repented. What about those of us who are believers? Uh, we are tempted to be like Jonah at times. We're tempted to be like him. You see, we are saved, but yet our view of God and our circumstances can be very perverted, for lack of a better term, when we allow our will to supersede his will, when we allow our desires to supersede his desires. When our desires and our way gets in the way, then we're going to have trouble just like, just like Jonah. And so what happens? You get angered at your circumstances rather than seeing them as a means for Christ to work through them in your life. You get angered about people rather than having compassion, rather than being kind, tender-hearted. You get angry about all kinds of stuff. Satan uses that. We need to learn from this to confess and to be right with the Lord, to be right with the Lord. And let me remind you that Jonah's attitude here wouldn't have changed unless God intervened with his discipline, preparing the way for his truth. Will you let that happen? Maybe you're going through difficult times. Now listen to God's word. Listen to what he has to say. Let him expose your heart and your sin so that you would confess it and be right with him. Well, the Lord God has compassion. What about those of us who are walking with the Lord? What about that? Maybe our compassion for the lost isn't what it should be. Maybe we have an attitude of self-righteousness and we hate the sin, but we sort of kind of hate the sinner too. The Lord has to show us that he is a gracious God who, who has sent his son Jesus and the offer of salvation is open. I mentioned it earlier, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What about Joel chapter 2, verse 12? 
Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning and render your heart, not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he will gracious, be, he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, relenting of evil. Friends, turn to the Lord and be saved. And brothers and sisters, we need to learn from Jonah's example to not have a self-focus and to see things from God's point of view, not from our own point of view. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. You're so good. And I pray that we will learn the lessons of Jonah. And Lord, if we're tempted and we trip up, please remind us, convict us. Lord, I pray for anyone who's not saved that they would... uh, be like the sailors, that they would be like the Ninevites, that they would earnestly call upon you to be saved. Lord, I pray for those of us who know you, that we would not allow sin to get in the way, we would confess it, that we would not allow evil, wicked, satanic attitudes to permeate our hearts when we don't get our way. Help us to confess if we need be, or to turn away from evil and turn to you, Lord God. And Father, help us all to have a compassion for those who are lost. Lord, they're perishing and they need you. Help us to be the tool in your way, in your time, with your words, as you desire, so that they might be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John, would you lead us in Rescue the Perishing?